0: Can you couch customer service for us in a way um, where it's a life skill, where it helps us in our personal lives? Because you've talked so much about friendships, you know, just developing relationships through having the right attitude.
1: Yeah, well, if you think about it, uh, customer service is no different than the experience that you want to have with a customer. You want that relationship to build. And I just created a model called the customer hierarchy of needs. Okay. Cool. And um, you're going from, you know, basically you're buying a product that needs to do what it's supposed to do. So that's what you're paying for. Okay. And then you start to move up the pyramid, just like Maslow hierarchy of needs, and eventually you get to an emotional connection, which is where loyalty is created. Those relationships are no different at home, although you're not selling a product at home, you're 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 basically getting people to connect with you on an emotional level. Shep Hyken is a
0: customer service and experience speaker, and is an international leading authority on customer service, customer experience and loyalty in business. Shep is also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author who has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. In this episode of Down 40 Love, Shep shows us how to take the curveballs of life and transform them into amazing Grand Slams and success stories, not only for ourselves, but for everyone around us. Enjoy the show. Shep Heiken Welcome to Down Forty
1: Love. Well, I'm excited to be here, Renee. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you know, one of the things I love about you—you've uh, been so helpful to me just as an entrepreneur—is your palpable energy. I mean, when we ran into each other just a couple of weeks ago at the lo- local coffee shop, you know, I could just feel your presence vibrating through that place, and it's—it's it's one of the things that I really, really appreciate about appreciate about who you are, not only as a person but as a business leader in our community, and I love the work you do, not only in the US, but globally. It's really an honor to be with you.
1: Let's jump right in. All right, and by the way, when you saw me at that coffee shop, you didn't know that a week before I had serious surgery uh, and almost debilitating prior to the surgery, but I had back surgery And they said, you need to go on a walk. So the coffee shops like in my building. So walking to the coffee shops. But did you notice was that did it look like I was in pain? (laughs) Did I look like I was like miserable? No, it's just my attitude.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you've got this championship attitude, something that, you know, we do our best at McKendree to convey to our student athletes every single day. But if you might not know this, you may know this, but I mean, you have swag to your walk. It doesn't matter if you just came from, you know, a minor injury or not. I mean, Shep Hiken has some swag, you know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, swagger. <you> know, <laughs> sw- swagger. Yeah, so it, it's fun to have you. here. Here's my first question. What's the difference between customer service and customer
1: experience? Great question. So many, many years ago when I started my business, I was all about customer service. Then one day a really smart person said, let's make it sexier. Let's, let's call it customer experience. And they were right. You know, it was the experience we're trying to create and we're doing it through service. Someone even smarter then said, wait a minute, experience is much broader than just the interaction that you have with a company person or the service experience you get from either sales or customer support and then uh it, they realize it's everything from the moment you jump on a website to uh the way the box looks when it's shipped to you i mean think about it. you get those amazon boxes and before you started getting them every day when you saw an amazon box <laughs> you were probably pretty excited but how it's how it's packaged on the inside then when you call and talk to somebody uh, do you have to be put on hold then or how enthusiastic is the person answering the phone all of that is part of the experience and that is an ongoing thing that happens. And customer service becomes part of that. And over the years, I've morphed into a big part of customer experience uh, because there are pieces of it that I don't get into. The whole uh, There's a whole technology side and data analytics side that I understand and can talk at a certain level. But when it comes to operationalizing that myself, I'm not the guy to talk about there. And People even say, what, what software should I get? I go, well, I can recommend... Five brands that I know are good. I can't tell you which one's best for you. Anyway, I digress. The difference between services and experience is basically that oftentimes people talk about how customer service is what happens when the experience fails. I disagree. Customer service and experience are part of the culture, they are philosophies to be embraced by every employee, and they need to understand their parts whether they actually deal directly with a customer or support somebody that does or is part of the process. Think of the guy in the warehouse that packs a product that never sees the customer. Well, if they don't pack that product right or they put a wrong uh, number in the address, it's not going to get to the customer. It's going to come to them damaged or wrong. Well, they impacted that customer's experience, and now it becomes a customer support issue. And uh, by the way, customer support is the department, not customer service. (laughs) <laughs> Just gotta make that clear. So I'm kind of all over the place on that, but in the end, you see the difference between service and experience, and also recognize these are ingrained in the culture. They're not departments. They're not strategies. They can be consider that, but overarching, it's a philosophy. So you're a proven
0: thought leader in this space. You know, a customer experience expert. Uh, what's your origin story like? How did you get involved? in customer uh,
1: experience. Yeah. Started when I was a little boy, honestly. Uh 8 years old, I worked for my grandpa's retail pharmacy uh during the summer. Nothing's better than working with your grandpa 3 days a week. <laughs> and I worked at his drugstore. And uh I I learned to run the cashier, I learned to say thank you. I learned uh you know, when I delivered uh you know the pharmaceuticals to the house down the street, um I would get a tip because I did a nice job and I was friendly. So I did not know that was called customer service. I just thought that was being friendly. Age 12, I did my first birthday party magic show. I became a magician at age 10 when I started doing card tricks and worked my way up into other types of tricks. And, and when I came home that night, my mom said, uh, and it was I was 12, She was after school, I did the show. And she said, what are you going to do after, after dinner tonight? And I thought homework is the correct answer. But the actual answer <laughs> she told me was, you're going to write a thank you note to your client that just she didn't call the client to the people that just hired you and my dad said great idea next week call and thank them again and make sure that they like the show and ask them what were their favorite tricks and you'll learn over time people talk about the same tricks because those are the really good ones if they don't talk about tricks over time get rid of those and replace them with tricks they start talking about now as i think back showing appreciation. It's getting feedback. It's acting on the feedback and creating a better show or as some might call it in business, process improvement. I had no idea that's what that was called. But when I got out of college and started studying customer service, which I'll get to in a moment, why I chose to do that, um, I realized I've been doing this all my life. And this is exactly what the (laughs) biggest companies in the world do. The most successful companies thank their customers, get feedback and operationalize the feedback. So, I'm I'm 22 years old, graduate college, think I'm going to go to work for the family's business. So it's June, uh, of a long time ago. And <laughs> September, they go, we're selling the company. Oh, gosh, what am I going to do now? Well, I saw a couple of motivational speakers, Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. You may or may not know who they are. You're shaking your head, yes. And they put on a great program and realized I'm only 22, uh, not even a year out of college. And you should also know my magic show business grew from birthday parties to working in uh, special events for companies, private events, uh, corporate events. So I kind of had this little background of doing magic shows at company events. I didn't want to be a magician, though. I felt I would be bored with that, even though I loved and had fun with it. I thought, I don't know how long I'd like to keep doing magic tricks, if that's something I want to do in my life. But when I saw those motivational speakers, I thought, wow. I could do that. I could write a speech, but what am I going to talk about? I went to the bookstore, excuse me, and I saw uh, maybe a shelf of books at the time. And I was drawn to uh, In Search of Excellence by Tom Peters, Uh, America at Your Service, a customer service book by Ron Zemke and Carl Albrecht. I bought these books. I immersed, there was a third book that was also written by Ron Zemke. I can't remember the title. I immersed myself in these books on the next, week or so, I said, this is it. This is what I've been doing all my life. And that's how it all started. And I have been passionate about it. And uh, by the way, I feel very blessed and lucky because I'm actually doing something that I was excited about when I was a a kid and I'm still doing it. And how many people, when they're, you know, getting ready to retire, maybe in ten? 15 years. So they're in the middle of their careers are still saying, you know what, I've been doing this and loving this since I was 10 years old. (laughs) Who would have thought? So I still get to get up in front of people and entertain them, so to speak. I just do it with a message that I'm very passionate about and that I've learned so much about over the years with my research, my studying and all the different clients that have taught me the way they do it and do it well. So you've built an incredible
0: business and, and I've seen you, um, Year after year, and your energy just keeps growing. It only gets bigger. What do you do specifically for your clients? Who are those clients? And what are some of their biggest challenges?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, not a day goes by that the average person anywhere in the world wouldn't see the logo of a client that I've worked with. How's that for an answer? Uh, (laughs) And that comes from uh, that, that is a a derivative of a guy, I believe his name was Sal Bass who is perhaps one of the greatest um, a graphic design artists. And he designed like ATT's logo and American Airlines logo and 7-Up's logo or Coca-Cola. I mean, all these, I don't think, but you get the idea. And that was his response to who are your clients. <laughs> and I could now say the thing, I'm so lucky. Uh, You know, I jokingly say I've worked with uh, American Express and Anheuser-Busch and AT&T and and, uh, American Airlines and, um, you know, all these different companies. And those are just some of the A's. And then there's companies (laughs) that are, you know, these Fortune 50s. And then there's these companies that are less than 50 employees. I work with them as well. And and I have a great time. It's it's fun to work with small businesses because when they decide they want to do something, they change on a dime. Uh, we work uh, with some pretty large companies and major brands, doing training projects and consulting projects. And a year later, we're starting to see shift happen—not S H I F T happen, shift happen <laughs> in their in their uh, in their business. And so um, uh, it's just fun to to work with the different types of clients. But uh, so, and, and your question was, what do I do for them? So if we were sitting next to each other on an airplane and you said, so what do you do for a living? I would say, have you ever done business with a company, walked away from a company, hung up the phone and thought, wow, these people are incredible. That was a great experience. Well, that's exactly what we help our clients do. And I do it a number of different ways. Uh, I am hired to speak at events. So if it's a sales conference for a company or an industry conference, uh, I am hired to go all over the world and do that. Uh, I've written training for uh, my content. So I've broken down the higher level keynote type speech uh, and get granular with training. And we have trainers that actually go out and deliver that and teach your companies and go deep. So I may do an hour kickoff meeting and they may come in and do 10 days over the next year of training, you know, eight hours a day and go deep on that content. Um, of course, I sell books. And then the other thing, Um, I've always done virtual events and some special projects, but when COVID came along, the pandemic happened, and everybody stopped having live meetings and people couldn't even go to work. Um, We did a a pretty good shift into all of the things I've ever done for a client. I wrote them down, and I just started pushing all of those things. If they didn't require us to be there in person, I was doing it. So uh, believe it or not, we're doing a podcast today. If you can imagine, prior to the pandemic, All the only podcasts I did was me bringing on guests, but all of a sudden I thought, why can't I do that for my clients? So I started to tell them, do you need a podcast host? Let's do podcasts for your customers or your employees. And uh, how do you want to do that? We can do it every other month, once a month, every quarter, what do you want to do? And all of a sudden clients started paying me to be a podcast host. Wow. Brilliant idea. So I'm still performing in a sense. It's just a different stage. And, uh, that's the way I think. I I, I pivot. I, I which pivot means turn your back on things, but I I shift or I'm flexible. That's probably a better word. Yeah, in tennis, we'd say you've got great footwork. Yeah, you know. So pivot would be forehand to backhand, and you do a full one eighty on that, pretty much, don't you? Okay. So we try not to go one eighty on what we've been doing, but sometimes we do have to adjust dramatically.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, you're. You know, you're the you're the kind of entrepreneur that that moves very quickly. You know, you, you're not you're not a slow guy and you're probably familiar with the quote, the speed of the leader, is the speed of the team, you know, and and again, that's that's one of the things that I really admire about you. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you may have faced earlier in your career as an entrepreneur and how you dealt with some of those adversities?
1: Well, I think if there was one thing I had to deal with, it had to do with my youth um, and inexperience. So you have to embrace that. And you have to accept that my enthusiasm and my energy is really important in front of your audience. Uh, What I'm going to bring to the table, here's the outline of what I'm going to talk about. And at the time, I don't want this to sound the wrong way. I was basically doing book reports. Okay, First of all, I had the passion for customer service. An experience. But I then went and read these books and found what I liked. However, I believe because of my background and whenever I wrote papers in high school and college, I wasn't allowed to plagiarize. So I had to give my spin or my interpretation on what I was reading and quoting. Mm-hmm. And I was very quick. I learned Zig Ziglar. I read his books and listened to his video or audio tapes back then. Uh, and he used to say, "If you can quote a lot of different sources, you look like you're really well read." So I was constantly <laughs> quoting, and then I would say, "And my take on that is, uh, and and I'm real clear. I mean, at the time, I'm I remember I'm 24, 25 years old, and IBM, who at the time was recognized as the world's leader in corporate customer service, hired me to speak to their salespeople about." customer service. And maybe six, seven years into my career, Disney hired me, maybe it was a little more than that, 10 years, hired me to talk about guest service to their frontline, you know, employees, the cast members. I'm thinking, how does this happen? And all they want is my spin on it. And since I had done it since I was a very young age, recognizing, and by the way, that birthday party magic show business, age 12, by age 14, I'd built up, to making more money than my teachers were at school on a weekend job. So it was a success. And the reason it was a success is repeat business, referral business, why? Because I created the experience that they were willing to talk about to their friends or have me back because they loved it so much. And isn't that, again, I've said this earlier in our conversation, isn't that what every business wants to do and every business does. The ultimate goal is uh, Ted Levitt, who I used to quote and still do occasionally in my speeches is the function of a business is not to make money. That's the goal. The function is to get and keep customers. And the getting part is sales and marketing. And the keeping is everything that I talk about. Deliver the experience that makes them say, uh, the title of my last book, I'll be back. (laughs) Also, Arnold Schwarzenegger's famous line, but they're two (laughs) completely different
0: meanings. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I love, you know, I love the fact that you learned so much from Zig Ziglar. I did and have read um, some of Zig's books and he was an inspiration to me. And I think you know, for you, you realized very early on, you had to bring your own personality, you know, to the table. And I think for you, honestly, Shep, that probably wasn't that hard. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're pretty, you know, you're an outgoing guy. And my guess is those early successes that you experienced did nothing but help raise your confidence level really gave you that belief that you're doing what you're designed to do. Um, but you also realized that, you know, speaking in a Southern twang like Zig Ziglar on the stage probably wasn't going to be the best play for you. So, you you, you know, you would probably be better off just, yeah, be just yourself. being yourself, just yeah. being just being yourself. Can you couch customer service for us in a way um, where it's a life skill, where it helps us in our personal lives? Because you've talked so much about friendships, you know, just developing relationships through having the right attitude?
1: Yeah, well, if you think about it, uh, customer service is no different than the experience that you want to have with a customer. You want that relationship to build. And I just created a model called the customer hierarchy of needs, okay? And um, you're going from, you know, basically you're buying a product that needs to do what it's supposed to do. So that's what you're paying for okay and then you start to move up the pyramid just like maslow hierarchy of needs and eventually you get to an emotional connection which is where loyalty is created those relationships are no different at home although you're not selling a product at home you're 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 basically getting people to connect with you on an emotional level and here's the thing you know people say you know uh i love you that's emotional if they say i hate you and never want to see you again that's also emotional The true way to break apart from somebody is to just not care. That's called apathy, right? So obviously the emotion that we'd like to have at home with the people that we, you know, our family, our spouses, significant others, partners, kids uh, is one of love. So- Well, if, and I, I, there's so many things going through my head, but let me give you a business example. In my speeches, I talk about communication. I talk about asking the extra question, which is to understand somebody so that we don't make a mistake. So somebody might say, I need this quickly. Don't say, okay, and then do it fast. Ask, well, how quickly do you need it to make sure that as fast as you can do it is in alignment with their expectation, if not even better, right? So that's why you ask the extra question, how fast? But imagine i'm driving down the street and my wife and i are out on a saturday night and she sees baskin robbins by the way this happened to us and on the way uh she looks over and she says honey would you like to stop and get some ice cream and i said no and kept driving (laughs) (laughs) and what i realized when we got home is that she wasn't really asking me if i wanted ice cream she was saying i want ice cream i don't even care if you want ice cream We need to get some ice cream. And instead I'm wrapped up in my own little world and I should have asked the extra question. And then when she said, uh, would you like ice cream? I could have said no, but then ask, would you? And she would have said, well, yeah. And then we would have had ice cream and everything would have been great that night, but no, no ice cream. No ice cream, if you know what I mean. (laughs) So (laughs) anyway, I joke about that. But think about that. That is an exact perfect parallel of things happening in business and things happening in our personal life. You know, think about this. If we treated our spouses, partners, significant others, the ones we love, as well as we treated that customer that we want to do business with, wow, what a relationship we might have at home. And then there's the dog how well do we treat that dog? That dog loves us no matter what we do. You know, we give the dog a little food and pat the dog on the head and then we get mad at it. We yell at it. we I'm not going to say kick the dog, but you know what I mean? And that dog still comes back and wags its tail. As a matter of fact, if on a hot summer day, you stuck that dog in a trunk of your car and a half an hour later, open it up and the dog was still alive, that dog would be happy to see you. But you if I stick my wife in the trunk of the car, Oh, it's the end. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: you're a sports guy. You're Saint Lu- a Saint Louis guy, Shep. What does
1: down forty love mean to you? Oh wow. So, um, uh, you know, uh, I would like to say I'm a better tennis player. I probably was a pretty good tennis player. I was a very good racquetball player, by the way. Kind of an extension in racquetball, a uh, racket sports. I was actually a teaching pro uh, for some time when I was younger. To me, down 40 love is, okay. you're down and the next point counts and uh, you got to win this point and then you got to win the next one. You got to win a third one just to get back to even. And from there, let's take it home. So uh, (laughs) my dad, back when I played racquetball at a competitive level and I was just starting to move up in the ranks, uh, said, treat every point by itself. Every point. You're not looking to win the game. You're looking to win the next point. Because if you're looking at 40 love, knowing that the next point that that opponent gets, if it's before you can get up to tie it, you're done. And instead, I'm not going to get gapped out, or or for lack of a better term, I'm not going to freak out then over the fact that I'm down and I'm being shut out at this point. I'm going to set my sights on what's next. And that is the next point I have to win. How does that next point
0: mentality or how would... That next point mentality serve your clients.
1: Wow. What happened during the pandemic? I have friends of mine that do what I do that pretty much shut down and almost went out of business and barely survived. And then there was me that had almost as good a year as I had the year before. And how did that happen? Uh, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, you, you got to, I will not forget that, hey, I was down thinking, okay, uh, all my speeches have canceled for the rest of the year. Wow. What does this mean? Uh, how long is this going to last? Ah, it's only going to last a few weeks. And then I found out, no, it's longer than a few weeks. <laughs> so uh, to me, that's when you start saying, okay, what can I do? And, and I admit that I, I was um, quiet, withdrawn. Um, I'm not going to say I was depressed, although it probably looked that way. I'll tell you about a, a recent time, uh, which I've already alluded to earlier in our conversation where I really did go into a deep depression, but only for about an hour and a half. Uh, and I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, the point is, is when I saw, okay, this isn't getting any better. I either got to, you know, poop or get off the pot, right? And so I decided I'm getting off the pot and I'm going to go find out what it is that I could do. And I used every skill that I'd ever had in business, every idea I ever had. And I said to myself, like I mentioned earlier, what is it that I've done not on stage that I could repeat and, and make a living at, charge clients for that they would feel is valuable enough that they would get uh, want to pay for it because uh, they feel it's worth it. And that's what I did. Um, you saw me at the coffee shop and you didn't know I was in a bit of pain. I just had the surgery. I should tell you about uh, December 6th of last year when I saw, finally got in to see the surgeon. And he told me that I would never do my favorite thing that I do every week for fun. And that is play ice hockey. I would never be able to do that again. Are you kidding me? By the way, I got a second opinion. Uh- <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course. And, and that second opinion, oh yeah, you'll be playing hockey and, uh, again. And, there and there's a funny story there. The so second opinion very- also
0: cost a little bit more. Did it not?
1: <laughs> uh, actually it didn't, but I'll tell you but tell you what, what. what's funny about that. So um. anyway, I, I went to what I, who I thought, and I believe he still is the very, very best orthopedic or not orthopedic, a neurosurgeon that would work on my back, recognized in the city and maybe recognized in the country. And by the way, there are others in the city that are right up there with him. But this is the one that I knew. Right. So I go to him. And I trust him. And he tells me I'll never play hockey again. I play hockey four days a week with my friends. And it's not just the hockey. It's the banter in the locker room, the going out for coffee afterwards. By the way, we don't play late night beer leagues. We play early morning coffee leagues. (laughs) And we go to breakfast afterward and just have just a great time and such. And I'm thinking, he tells me this. And my wife is with me during the diagnosis. And we get in the car and I'm just dead quiet. And she says, what's going on? I go, he said, I'll never be able to play hockey again. That's like my favorite thing to do. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't, and I'm starting to really get depressed. And about an hour and a half later, I come back. You know, we're back at home. I come out, I go, I'm done being depressed. She goes, I I, I what do you mean? I go, I'm done. I can't, I let me I, the only reason I don't want to do surgery with this guy is because it's gonna be seven weeks before he can get me in. I, I am in so much pain right now. I've got to find somebody that I can see sooner than that. But if I can find somebody that'll operate on me sooner, I've gotta go. That was the main reason I went looking for a second opinion, uh, which actually was not really so much an opinion, but it, and the same exact diagnosis by the way, with the exception of him saying, sure, you'll play hockey again, because he's operated on many of the professional athletes who had back surgery like mine, that are back playing hockey and people that are my age. And he said, you're just gonna have to dial it down a bit. You're not a professional anymore. And I get that, but I digress. Why was I depressed? I was told I wouldn't be able to do the most important fun thing I do all week. And then I realized he didn't tell me I'm going to die. And so I wasn't diagnosed with some, gosh, uh, death sentence type of disease. It wasn't an extreme type of cancer or whatever. It was like, okay, so I'm not going to go play hockey. I'll just ride my bike more often. (laughs) It's like, that's what I'll do. So that's what down 40 looks like to me. Is being told you're not going to be able to do something, having a pandemic throw a curveball in your business that ruined some of my friends, but somehow invigorated me to take my whole business to another level of success. And that's what down 40 means to me. It's a long answer, but I hope it gives your listeners something to, to think about, chew on. So I think, and I could be wrong, as you
0: know, I'm wrong a lot, but I think your ability to... Um, stay ahead of the change of COVID. A large part is because you've been practicing the fundamentals every single day over and over and over again. I mean, your business is 30 feet away from your home. You well, have a little more about 200 yards, <laughs> 200... two buildings over, <laughs> two buildings over. Of course, yep. you know what I mean? You have everything that you need. You aggressively invest in yourself and in your business year over year. Can you just briefly just touch on the importance of putting fundamentals in place and how that can help entrepreneurs and people in general, leaders across industry, move through adversity more effectively?
1: Sure. Well, number one, I'm always looking for new opportunity not new opportunity to get out of my lane, but new opportunity that's inside my lane. So uh, I don't, I didn't create, by the way, there are people in my business that create an incredible speech and do the same speech for the next 30, 40 years and retire having done some form of the same speech they did starting in, in the first year. I am more interested in learning so much that I can do anything for my client related to customer service and experience and give them what they want. I have a wide, that's why it's not one book. It's seven books, you know, that kind of thing. All right. Um, uh, so we've got the business acumen. Number two, I strive to constantly improve, which isn't always changing. It's improving, looking for ways to get better. Maybe there is a little change there. I think that's important. Um, uh, Why is it, and I'll use uh, Tiger Woods as an example, one of the most famous pictures in sports is Tiger Woods putting before a tournament with his coach telling him, you know, whatever, making adjustments for Tiger, who at the time was the number one golfer in the world. I remember Mark McGuire uh, here in St. Louis who was hitting home run after home run had a batting coach. Why do these guys who are at the top of their game need a coach? I spent 20 years with Dan Sullivan in the strategic coach program. And uh, it's not that I, I, I do other things now. I, I still go to conferences. I still uh, will pay money to work with professionals to enhance what I do. I recognize the value of investing in myself. And I think the point I'm trying to make is this. Uh, you need help along the way. You can't do it in a vacuum. Even the best players in sports in the world have a coach. Renee, you know, Uh, Your top athletes on your team, you're their coach. You look at the top uh, tennis players who are winning today, you know, uh, all of the number one, number two, every one of them, they always have a video or the video or the camera always goes over, and There's the coach who, by the way, can't say anything during the match, but is there, you know, up until that moment, they've they've changed it. Now the
0: coach can actually talk to the player from the stands because they were doing it they were doing it anyway, so they figured they'd make it. They they'd make it legitimate.
1: Uh, Shep, one final question: What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, wow! So that's a great question. You know, uh, it's real important. I have lifetime aspirations, and uh, the most important thing is I, I my family love them to death. So I want my kids and eventually grandkids, maybe great grandkids, if I'm lucky to meet them. I want them to be happy and good. And I think I'm going to play a part of that. Number two, I think that I will uh, help and support many others along their journey. So I want to be a mentor and supporter to others. Uh, You and I have talked and had many conversations so you understand what that's about. Um, And I think those are two really important things. Um, You know, there's an old poem out there, and I can't recite it, but it's called The Dash. Are you familiar with The Dash? I am familiar,
0: but I want to hear it again. Yeah,
1: and basically, it's this is the year I was born, and this is the year I died. Okay, and that dash that's in the middle, that's what's important. What we do in between those two dates, and I really, really hope that I I make a difference in the world. Uh, obviously, I want to live life, I want to love life, I want to enjoy life, but if I can go out having helped others, philanthropy is important to me. I actually have a a, a definitive number that I want to give away in my lifetime and uh it's not a michael steinberg number who i know you've had on the show in the <laughs> past because he may be one of the most philanthropic philanthropic people that i know but uh i, I learned from guys and competitive guys like that. and probably competitive about oh the yeah. philanthropy <laughs> unbelievably competitive but uh, we'll talk about his philanthropy yeah, yeah so
0: yeah shep i mean you you truly are amazing it's no surprise that you've written books with that title in there you're a new york times best-selling author Um, You're one of my mentors. You've continued to be um, truly loyal and very supportive to the work that I do on and off the court. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on Down 40
1: Love. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you know what? I may be down 40, but guess what? It's now ad Shep. (laughs) There you go. Thank you, Shep. All right. Thank you.